Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. Now, coming up on today's program... The risk of doing too little... And leaving the economy with this entrenched inflation, it only raises the cost. If you fail to deal with it in the near term, it only raises the cost of of, uh, dealing with it later. Making the messaging from the Federal Reserve make sense. We'll translate the latest federal national economic forecast when Emory professor and economist Tom Smith returns. Plus, Fulton County Commissioner Khadija Abdul-Rahman believes a recent vote by the commission not to raise the millage rate will heavily impact Grady Memorial Hospital. I'll speak with the commissioner about her concerns. All that's ahead, but first this. Mitzi Bickers, who helped former Atlanta Mayor Kasim Reed win an election and then worked as his director of human services, has been sentenced to 168 months in prison with three years supervised release and is ordered to pay nearly $3 million in restitution to the city of Atlanta. Bickers was tried and convicted in March of this year on nine of 12 federal charges related to a construction contract scandal. In other news, Georgia's Senate candidates are still debating, kind of, about whether to debate. Well, Democratic incumbent Raphael Warnock agreed to three debates. It wasn't clear if Republican opponent Herschel Walker would agree to any debates, but Walker now says he's willing to do one in Savannah, as we hear from WABE's Sam Greenglass. Early on, Warnock and Libertarian Chase Oliver accepted three debates in Macon, Savannah, and Atlanta. Walker did not accept any. Eventually, Walker accepted a different Savannah offer with a live audience in October. Warnock has now said yes to that, but only if Walker agrees to at least one other debate as well. Walker has not responded to that offer. The Atlanta Press Club will set up an empty lectern on stage if Walker doesn't show. Polls suggest the Senate election will be very close. Sam Greenglass, WABE News. Hope y'all got all of that. More details are emerging about Wellstar Health System's planned closure of Atlanta Medical Center. Jess Mado reports Wellstar is expected to meet soon with Mayor Andre Dickens to discuss the situation. Dickens' voice has been among the loudest, demanding answers from Wellstar after its announcement last week it plans to close the century-old hospital. Now, Wellstar says it's meeting with Dickens this week, but did not provide a date. Officials say they'll release more details about Wellstar's plans for transferring AMC patient care to other providers. Atlanta Medical Center's operations are slated to shut down November 1st. Any medical clinics affiliated with the hospital will close by November 18th. AMC is one of only two level one trauma centers in the city, along with Grady. There are three others across the state. Jess Mador, WABE News. The electric vehicle market in Georgia continues to gain momentum, but powering train locomotives with alternative energy sources is expected to take a little bit longer, as we hear from Emil Moffitt. Jamie Helmer with Atlanta-based Norfolk Southern says there are a lot of exciting developments when it comes to the locomotive of the future. We've been looking at things like battery electric. We've been considering hydrogen and the hydrogen hubs that are going to be coming. But Helmer, who's the company's director of fuel efficiency, says diesel-powered locomotives aren't going away anytime soon. She says there are ways, however, to make them fuel efficient, adding more train cars and cargo to reduce trips and cutting down on time spent idling. If we predict that the locomotive's not going to be needed for X amount of time, we're going to shut it down. Norfolk Southern says in the next three years, nearly a thousand of its locomotives will be converted to AC traction power, which can improve fuel efficiency, it says, by up to a quarter. 
Emil Moffitt, WABE News. And speaking of transportation, MARTA is set to host public meetings next week on extending the Atlanta streetcar along the Atlanta Beltline near Ponce de Leon Avenue. Now, the East Extension Project would take the streetcar into Midtown, ending near Ponce City Market. Currently, the streetcar only goes a loop between the Martin Luther King Jr. Center and Centennial Olympic Park. MARTA will host an in-person meeting about the extension on Monday at Dad's, Dad's Garage and a virtual meeting on Tuesday via Zoom. And finally. The skies over Baghdad have been illuminated. We're seeing bright flashes going off all over the sky. Clearly, I've never been there, but this feels like we're in the center of hell. Mm. CNN anchor Bernard Shaw died Wednesday of pneumonia. Statement was released by his family. Shaw was CNN's first chief anchor when the Atlanta-based network launched way back when, June 1st, 1980. An incredible career. Shaw's reporting originated from some of the biggest news stories y'all may know. For example, the student revolt in Tiananmen Square back in May of 1989, the first Gulf War live from Baghdad in 1991, and the 2000 presidential election. Bernard Shaw was 82 years old. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at CF. GreaterAtlanta.org. And you're listening to Closer Look from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. News that Wellstar Health System would be closing Atlanta Medical Center immediately brought to mind how that might affect Atlanta's Grady's Hospital. Now, this week, the Fulton County Commission approved an immediate cash advance, so to speak, of $11 million to Grady to help cover any unexpected expenses. Grady's annual expenses are well over $2 billion, according to the latest tax-exempt information. And now comes another concern. And we'll continue this, I'm sure. Um, I know that there's some department heads going to be coming with 25, 30, 40 million dollar increases. Uh, where the money's coming from, I have no earthly idea. But it's certainly not coming from a millage rate increase, as I understand it from talking with you privately. So no other matters to come before us today. We are adjourned. Thank you. That was quite a way to end the Fulton County Commission meeting, but that is Fulton County Commission Chair Rob Pitts after a presentation from the county's finance department. And to basically sum up their assessment, without a millage rate increase, which the commission voted for last month, the county is facing a $103 million deficit. Fulton County Commissioner Khadija Abdul-Rahman believes this will heavily impact Grady Memorial Hospital. And the commissioner joins me now. Commissioner, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You said you were in a statement. You pretty much said that with Grady Hospital, we'll be on life support next year with the county facing this $103 million deficit. In that meeting, in the finance meeting, what was your, other than that, what reason did they give? Was it solely because you all were not, you voted not to increase the millage rate? Well, you got to understand that we have a county manager and and a county manager has his his department and the CFO and, and others that deal with the finances. They gave a recommendation a month, not even a month ago, um, a little less than a month ago, they gave a recommendation of what the millage rate needed to be in order for to head this off. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, we 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 pay our county manager and, and he earns every dime of it, but we pay him very well and he is a fiscal conservative and he came with a uh, recommendation. Um, I supported a recommendation. Unfortunately, many of my colleagues didn't. And I warned them then that we were going to have to cut services and do other drastic things now to be totally candid with you. I had no idea that it was gonna not only hit us this soon, but when you look at the fact that Grady has already uh, been uh, burdened by one hospital closing, mm-hmm. and now we know another hospital that's in close proximity to Grady, I might add, 
will be closing. We don't know the uh, effect of it, but we do know that it will be affected by it. Where would that money come from to not only uh, fund Grady, but the fact that we we can't operate in a deficit and we've got to pull money from somewhere means that everybody across the board are going to get less in 2023 than they got in 2022. If anything, we should be giving Grady more money, not less. When you say and so, when you say sorry, when you say everyone is going to be getting less, you're obviously talking about Grady, and, and you're going to have to cut services. I know people in Fulton County are listening to this program right now, saying, "Well, wait, hold up, let's let's be a little specific here." You're saying, okay, let me, yeah, yeah, lay it out let for me, them. Me, and this let, is through let your me lay it out. Okay? <laughs> let me lay it out. <clears throat> you're talking about a hundred and three million dollar deficit. Now, by law, by state law, we cannot operate in a deficit, which means the money has to come somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, now having to put freezes. This was one of the things that 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 was suggested by the county manager. Across the board, freeze means there'll be no hiring, mm-hmm. which means that the sheriff, the jail is going to be affected. The DA's office, who is going after gang violence, we're going to have to tell her, no, you're going to have to have less money. You're not going to be doing the hiring. Mm-hmm. Our employees who have worked very hard through the uh, COVID, we're not going to be able to give them any raises. Mm-hmm. IT positions that we are desperately needing to fill, we're not going to be able to be competitive. Libraries are going to be asked to, to tighten their belt. We're going to have to ask them to cut. Um Across the board, senior, we may even have to, you know, look at senior transportation, senior services. It is going to be across the board. And more importantly, I want the Fulton County citizens to know is this was a decision that was not made in the best light. Because when we were given the information, uh, we had a choice to make. I would have rather told this. Fulton County uh, taxpaying citizens, listen, we can't roll it back. We need 9.0, which Mm -hmm. is what I put forward. I would have rather been honest with them, told them that and told them why we needed to do it, as opposed to now we're talking about health issues. Grady Memorial Hospital needs more money, not less. The jail, we have overcrowding. We're going to have to tell the sheriff, the DA, the courts, the libraries, the employees. So yes, this is going to affect everyone and it is going to affect Grady, especially because Grady has a second hospital that is going to close us in close proximity and it's already being burdened by the first closure. Mm-hmm. I want to back up for a second because you can understand someone saying, well, wait a minute. In August, prior to the vote, what information did you all have in terms of the potential impact on your your operating expenses. You had to know. They did 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 no one tell y'all, and you still took well, the vote. <laughs> well, here again, I'm Commissioner Khadija. I I believe that I have a duty, and that's not to say that others don't, but I have a duty to tell the community the truth. When the vote came before us. We all of those commissioners knew what would happen if we rolled back and did less because we had a county manager that spelled it out to what it needed to be. I made my voice very loud and clear. Then this will affect services. Fulton County is going to have to cut services across the board. That was something that was made well of aware. Now you didn't ask me my opinion, but I'm getting ready to give it to you anyway. This was a decision that was made that was purely political. This was not based on sound policy because we had the information in front of us what would happen, but sometimes decisions are made from my colleagues for what's, what's political as opposed to what's best needed. Well, you say this is political because I want to be fair because this was not just straight down the political party lines here. Okay. You and Commissioner 
Arrington Jr., I believe, voted against it. Your vote, you you all were in favor of a millage rate, correct? But we were in favor, yeah, of correct. We were in favor of the of the millage rate. However, there was a discussion. I I put forward what I call a happy medium of let's do. I think the county manager said nine point three. I said nine point oh. That was seconded by Commissioner. Bob Ellis, which is one of our most conservative commissioners on there, but he saw that we needed to do something. But the, our, my colleagues did not support that. So I want to be clear. So your fellow Democratic commissioners, you're talking about Commissioner Natalie Hall and Chairman Rob Pitts, voted on the other side. Yes, they did. What conversations did you all have about about this i mean i i i know you understand mm-hmm. listeners are like okay let's and and by the way we should know we reach out we're going to get commissioner uh, chairman rob pitts on the program hopefully next week um and you've heard we played the clip he said i don't know where the money's gonna come from exactly exactly and so and so well how y'all gonna I afford at least with the the deal with the city jail <laughs> Y'all got $103 million deficit. I, can you understand Thank folks you. rolling their Thank eyes you. about this right now? How are we going to do all of the things? If, if, if you, let's, let's, let's go back to, if, if you just bear with me or your, your listeners. Sure. Yesterday's commission, commission meeting, we renewed contracts. And these are contracts for services um, that are needed services for Fullerton County. 99.9% of these contracts that we renewed yesterday all had in in them built-in increases. The people had said, listen, we've got a labor cost or more. Um, the materials cost is more. And so we did what was prudent, which is to renew the contract because we need the service. Sure. Okay. So why did we do that? And I said that. Why do we take that position with that when it was but when it was time for us to look at a hard, don't get me wrong, everybody's uncomfortable with a millage rate increase. Sure. But at the end of the day, if the increase is going to ward off cuts across the board, impact uh, to health services, jail services, uh, courts, and Grady, then we have to do the better thing as opposed to the political thing. Commissioner, can I, can you understand someone who, and, and look, our listeners, not just our listeners, but folks in the county, they pay attention to obviously to all this. When you consider that also, and correct me if I'm wrong, when y'all took the vote to approve the lease with the city for the jail, but then you voted against raising the millage rate, then you knew that y'all had some issues. You, you then you approved yesterday these contracts. Listen, the incre- y'all gonna have some lawsuits was, if y'all don't if y'all don't pay people. My my voice was extremely loud and clear in opposition to that, and I stated then the issues that we have. How will we afford to do that when we can't do other things? See. At the end of the day, we've got to do good policy here across the board, not just to keep our phones from ringing. Now, that's my personal opinion. Let me put that out there. I'm being candid. Okay. I'd rather to to, to tell the Fullerton County taxpayer the truth and take the vote based on what's the truth than to tell you the truth, take a vote that's going to hurt, and then down the road, great is in danger you know, the courts are overloaded. The the libraries are not receiving. And, and and let me make it, let me let me just drive home another point. What about our Fulton County employees who are Fulton County taxpayers as well? And we're telling them no, we will not be able to give you a cost of living raise. So that is unfair. Commissioner, as you you stated, y'all cannot operate in a deficit. Chairman Pitts has made it very clear. 
We don't know where this $103 million is going to come from. It's got to come from somewhere. It's got to come from somewhere. When will you all start working on this? Uh, Actually, it's being worked on as we speak because we're looking at, and several employees called me last night and today, you you all are not going to be able, more than likely, they're not going to be able to get raises. Okay? We're going to have to do a freeze, possible freeze, on all hiring across the board. I want to I want to go back to Grady for a moment because how much money I mean you can give a a, a ballpark figure here does Grady require for I obviously we know that, that there's a whole lot of optics around Grady in terms of the funding they get um, but how much money do you all could you anticipate they may not that they're in danger of not getting or they have to get it you cannot get it to them right you're you not saying you cannot get it okay. but the, so other areas will be cut but grady will get what what grady needs well i can't i can't tell you that because that's at the pleasure of the entire board i know my position my position is we can't do without grady because grady's services we have no medicaid expansion Grady's services our community our community Okay, our community, not not a community next door, Grady Services, the least of these. And they do a pretty good job with what we give them. Now, under regular circumstances, Grady can get anywhere from 50 to 80 million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. The picture that I'm trying to point out to your viewers, I'm sorry, to your listeners, is that was with one hospital closed. Now we're going to have two hospitals closed. Well, yeah, because we had the facility out there in East Point, which is not that far. That's the one you're referring to. And then the one now. Exactly. And, and then Wellstar, which is up here on Boulevard. Listen, I got emails. I'm not going to read them all because folks are a little hot. But when you just momentarily, when you said, well, Grady may not get everything that they. What are you saying? Grady may not get everything they get. I'm, what I'm, I'm, what I'm paraphrasing. For, is, I can't repeat what the actual emailer says because it's. I can, I can tell. Let me let, let me let me say this for your listening audience. Grady needs more, not less. Grady, Grady, Grady is slated to get anywhere between fifty to eighty million dollars. Mm-hmm. That's with the twenty twenty two budget 2023 is going to be less so is there a alarm yes there is because we may not be able to fully give them that 50 to 80 million dollars but even if we are able to give them that full 50 to 80 million dollars it still won't be enough with two hospitals closed do you have any emergency can and, and I'm asking this question because we don't know how this works, but can you ask the state? Can you go to Washington? Is there anything? And given the fact that we have these other two hospital closures right near Grady, is there any other option for you all to try and get additional funding for Grady? I believe it's going to take a concerted effort at the, the lobbying at the city, county and state level what 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 we don't know and i don't have a crystal ball but we don't know we we know the effects of one hospital closing because it's already i've already met i am a i'm a supporter of grady so i i constantly meet with them and and have them to explain to me where they are they already are at the seams with one hospital closed. Mm-hmm. The other hospital has not closed yet. And so we d- we know it's going to be effect. We don't know how big that effect will be, but we will need to do something quick and in a hurry to uh, stave off uh, any effects that that will happen because we will see an effect to Grady from that closing of that second hospital that's in so close proximity. What do you say to a listener who says, quote, they sided with Labatt over health care, close quote? They being you all, the commission. I understand. I understand. My, My colleagues, let's be crystal clear about that. My colleagues decided here again, um, 
we have to be proactive and we have to be, we have to hold, and this includes me. I put myself in the statement I'm getting ready to make. We have to hold our elected officials accountable because that vote should not have happened. It has happened now. So can't cry over spilt milk, Mm -hmm. but we have to be proactive instead of reactive. And we must, as a society, engage these decision makers when they're at the table and they want to 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 uh, look at the services or not look at the services that affect our seniors, that affect, you know, the less of these. And they want to make a decision purely based on politics as opposed to good policy. We have to hold us accountable. Commissioner, if you all are talking about the cuts in the services, at what point, what's the timeline here where you all will hopefully have something in line? Well, the budget, uh, I'm going to have some budget town halls that will start soon. The budget hearings will start um shortly within the next uh i would i would want to say within the next four weeks okay i will have budget uh in my district i will have budget town halls so people can come out and not only voice their concern where money should go they can see potentially what areas will be affected so i would suggest all your listeners to please become active in all the budget town halls, whether it's in my district or any other other commissioner's district, but please become active in the Fulton County budget talks and hearings so they can see and know the potential areas that are going to be cut. I have another question from a listener who says, Rose, since Grady is the trauma center in the region, can't other cities contribute to Grady at least for the trauma operations? I don't, I don't know what that how that works out in terms of agreement, but is that even something? Well, the the only the only agreement is DeKalb is full to DeKalb, DeKalb. Mm-hmm. and so and DeKalb does uh, contribute as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think when you're talking about any other city then you get into a conversation about what we call, what that particular city looks at as being its responsibility mm-hmm. and who gets treated at Grady. And so whenever you you talk about, and here again, this is my personal opinion, but I would be uh, remiss if I didn't interject it. When you're talking about the less of these, when you're talking about communities of brown and black, you know, people have a tendency to not want to have that conversation or it's a very uncomfortable conversation. And so Fulton, DeKalb are on the line for Grady right now. Fulton does his part. DeKalb does his part. I can't speak to DeKalb. I'm not a DeKalb legislator. Sure. I can only speak to Fulton. And so um, it, it would really behoove us to rethink how we do funding for Grady. And I think that's an uncomfortable conversation that nobody at this point really want to have. I'm willing to have it, but nobody uh, really want to have it. But we may, this is 2022, Rose. Mm-hmm. We may need to rethink how do we actually fund Grady? So Grady won't be, we won't have these conversations in the future. And we've been down this how road before. Do we've been down this road yeah. before in terms of, yeah. of, there was a time when it looked like, and I remember because I was in a WAB newsroom where th- there was talk of Grady might be actually shutting its doors. I mean, we, we've been down this road and it seemed like exactly. it stabilized for a moment. Before I let you go, I do want to get this in. It's a question because it relates to Fulton County's aging population. You always, y'all have always had pretty good, from what I understand, services for your, your seniors you have a f- senior facilities. Is it possible that those are also could be receiving some some cuts in services, operating hours? You all have a I think a heat assistance program for seniors in 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 the winter. Is everything pretty much up to be cut? Is what you're saying? What what I'm telling you with the hundred and three million dollar deficit. Every, everything's on the table. That's the reality. Now, what will get cuts? What won't get cuts? That will be a conversation that will be a 
a recommendation from the Fulton County Manager's Office. But remember, the Fulton County Manager's Office made a recommendation before and my colleagues ignored it. And so that's why the citizens of Fulton County must get involved, must raise their voice, because at this point, everything, everything is is eligible. Fulton County Commissioner Khadija Abdul-Rahman, thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. I know our listeners do as well. And again, a programming note, we are working to get Commission Chair Rob Pitts on next week as well to address this issue. Thank you, Commissioner. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Sometimes it's the message. Sometimes it's the messenger. As of late, it's a little bit of both as Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell is tasked with updating not only Congress, but the American public about the nation's economy. The U.S. economy is clearly slowing from the historically high growth rates of of 2021, which reflected the reopening of the economy following the pandemic recession. While the latest economic data have been mixed, in my view, our economy continues to show strong underlying momentum. The labor market is particularly strong, but it is clearly out of balance, with demand for workers substantially exceeding the supply of available workers. What we know is this. We are all feeling the sting of inflation. What we don't know is, are we headed to a recession? So a regular contributor to Closer Look from Emory University economist and professor Tom Smith. Welcome back. It's been a moment. Hey, it has been a moment. How are you doing? All right. Well, you know what? We talk about inflation and cuts. You just heard that conversation I had with the commissioner from Fulton County. Let me ask you this. Has the Fed's efforts to slow down the economy over these past few months, I think, what, two different interest rate hikes, have they really, can we measure that it's had an effect on inflation, Tom, or is it still just too early? Um, It's a little bit early. So, I mean, let's just rewind a little bit just to set the stage. So the Fed started increasing interest rates in the beginning of the year around March, and they've made a couple very large, uh, very large changes recently, 75 basis points. um, And they have indicated that they're likely to make additional increases in the interest rate. Uh, And what they're doing is they're trying to remove currency from the economy to try to tap down Mm -hmm. on prices. And so they're not trying to they don't want to slow down economic growth. What they want to do is they want to push down the inflationary pressures uh, that we've seen since the beginning of the pandemic. In other words, they want consumers to think twice about maybe making those big purchases like houses and, and, and stuff like that, right? And cars or whatever, right? That's pretty sure. much, you want to tell the consumer, just ease back a little bit because their behavior, we want folks to get jobs, but we want the consumer behavior to sure. also just shift a little bit. So, but you're saying it's too early to really determine whether or not it has a measurable effect on inflation. Just want to be clear. Well, yeah. So, so you know, if you're looking at like a month over month, year over year changes in the CPI, which is usually how inflation is reported, right? They'll mm-hmm. say, oh, the annual inflation based on CPI was, you know, 8.7% or 9.1% or what have you. So I think we saw it top tapped out, topped out, and I think that we're going to actually start seeing it decrease. But a decrease in inflation is a little different than deflation. What we're going to see is inflation, instead of being 8%, is going to be like 7%, and that's going to be 6%. We're not likely to see those kind of dramatic movements mm-hmm. until the end of the fourth quarter. Okay. So Let me get your thoughts on this, Professor, because, you know, look, federal. I don't think anybody would want the job of Jerome Powell, um, but he's, he's this is part of his job, tasked with giving these messages, these forecasts. How do you assess the overall messaging from the from the Federal Reserve to the American public regarding our economy. Um, it, actually, it's nice that you're talking about this because the the Fed has to release these they release these press releases periodically when they're making these these changes. They say, "Oh, we're going to increase the the interest rate um, target by uh, 75 basis points or by 50 basis points," and then they um, then they take very specific language 
and they use that language to try to explain why it is they're engaging in the policy that they are. So they'll say things like the labor market is tight, mm -hmm. but GDP growth is robust. Um, we've seen you know recent inflation, but inflationary trends we thought were once going to be transitory have turned not to be transitory. And it's it could be head spinning if you don't know why it is. Why don't they just come out and say in English, hey, we have some inflation. We're trying to stop it. But that's because they have to be really careful about messaging what the policy is, but also why they're undertaking the policy. And so the language is very specific and, and, and the messaging is very clear that they they want to have a message, but they want the message to be a little bit opaque. Well, how then would you assess then what Ch Chairman Powell has been able to do? He's been to Congress. He's been giving these mm -hmm. interviews. He doesn't shy away from them. But, you know, one could understand that maybe what he said last month and maybe five months ago may not be the same, although he sort of massages it, um, you, you know. And look, it's 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 difficult. You know, he, he is in a difficult situation, but we look to him. That's right. It's a it's a very difficult job. And so, I mean, he's the chair of the Fed. I mean, he only gets one vote I and mean, the rest of the, the rest of the board of governors have to vote on these policies as well. But he's the spokesperson for what the Fed is doing. And he doesn't want to alarm anybody about the state of the economy. And, and for good reason, um, he doesn't want people to change their behavior in such a way that would then cause the economy to let's say go into an economic recession. Mm -hmm. So if he came right out and said, oh my gosh, this is what we're doing. We're doing this because we're afraid the economy is gonna go into recession next week. Mm -hmm. Well, then people are gonna go out and change their behavior right yeah. now, which could actually cause the economy to go into a recession next week. So he has to be a very uh, steady captain, right? Of this ship and say, look, we're paying attention to this number. This number is suggesting that inflation isn't transitory. Okay, so we might have to be a little bit more hawkish with respect to our Fed policies. Mm -hmm. So he has to play this game. He has to balance out trying to calm inflation without throwing the economy into a recession. He has to balance the policy, but then he also has to balance the messaging so that people don't overread or underread what the actual policies are. You mentioned this a moment ago, and we probably need to just stay with it for just a few more moments. How important sure, is this last quarter of the year in terms of a stable economy and as, as an indicator going into 2023? Well, I mean, it's it's good that you're pointing this out. I mean, a lot of people look to this last quarter, you know, lots of holiday shopping, lots of big purchases, big ticket items, if you will. And it can be an indicator of how good the next year is. I mean, typically people look at the first 100 days or the first X number of days in the new year to identify what the overall trends are. Mm -hmm. But you do point to Q4 and say, okay, Q4 is where we have lots of consumer spending. If we can have a good Q4, this will certainly make the year feel a lot different. I anticipate that um, there will be not a crazy, crazy spending going on in Q4. I think people yeah. are going to be much more reserved, mm -hmm. a lot more reserved. Yeah, anyway, it's the holidays. Look, I, I saw a Christmas tree already up in one of the stores. I mean, ah. <laughs> I, look, you feel because you want, you know, look, you want the, the retailers, you want them to have a, a great Q4. But listen, on the consumer end, you know, you're like, look, I, everybody's not going to get what they want on the, on the list for the holidays. Um, so what key metrics then are you going to pay attention to for 2023? Well, I mean, going going into Q4, yeah. the beginning of 2023, mm -hmm. I'm paying attention to where the unemployment rate is. It is very low. We don't want it to start ticking up. And so we'll look at that. I'm, I'm paying attention to things like inflation. But inside of inflation, I'm looking at things like housing prices, mm -hmm. what's happening with rents, um, what's happening with the number of people who are identifying that they are fearful of missing rent payments mm -hmm. or fearful of missing other utility payments or regular bills. Those are the metrics that I'm paying attention to because if we start seeing loan defaults, we start seeing people freaking out about being able to pay their bills, mm -hmm. that would be an indicator that we could be heading into a recession or that we might already be in a recession. So I'm paying attention to real, let's say, grassroots stuff. Like, can you pay your bills? Are people defaulting on loans? Those are the kind of things that I think would be a really bad indicator if we started seeing those things tick up. But isn't job growth also a key factor in all of this? 
Yeah, it's a really good observation. I mean, you know, we want the unemployment rate to stay low. There are several metrics out there that suggest that there's still this mismatch between employers and employees. And so, I mean, I've seen some statistics that show that maybe there might be two or three openings for every worker that's out there. Like, really? Like, how can we have this many openings? And it's not clear if, if a lot of companies are just trying to test the water, trying to find the best worker. And there's still a lot of workers who are, who are saying, mm-hmm. look, if I don't really like the job that I have, I'm going to switch really quickly and so there's a lot of switching going on there's a lot of mismatch right now uh speaking of switching professor tom smith it appears your folks your crew u.s economists are split on whether the u.s is actually <laughs> headed into a recession you should see the headlines I, it's 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 interesting how yeah, do you the headlines t- <laughs> some say we are some say we're not and the question for me was i want to know the mindset of an economist like how do you all think Oh wow! And if you asked if you asked ten economists, we couldn't reach a conclusion, right? I mean, that's right. The, the old joke is just give me a one-armed economist so that so that he or she can't say on the one hand and then on the other hand. Oh, that's oh, uh, that's that's bad. That's an old joke. It's an old joke. It's terrible. It's an old joke. It is a terrible joke. It's so so here's terrible. the deal: is that economists can agree, okay, this is how the unemployment rate is calculated. Um, but it, we have a hard time agreeing on, well, what do we think is going to happen next? Mm-hmm. Like, is this an indicator of what, what's going to happen with the unemployment rate next week or next month or next quarter? Uh, because our forecasting models use previous information, but the economy is constantly changing, right? You, you think about us being, let's say, the economy is on the equivalent of a moving walkway at the airport. And people are throwing things at you all the time. Like, mm-hmm. where are you going to end up? Where are you going to go? Like, you think you're going in a straight line. Uh, but depending on what the economy throws at you, you could be taken off course very, very quickly, as we saw with the pandemic. I mean, our economy was very strong. Uh, we had a very solid business economy. And then the pandemic just blew up everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could say I, nobody could have anticipated that. They couldn't have anticipated it at that moment that it was going to have the impact that it was. And so because the economy is constantly changing, you know, lots of economists will just play both sides and say, well, I can see it going this way and I can see it going that way. But that's smart. I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put a lot of a lot of credit into an economist who says, absolutely, this is what's going to happen 100 percent for sure, because there are, are no for sures mm-hmm. in an economy because so many things are always changing. Well, are we headed to a recession, <laughs> Professor Thomas, by early 2020? Absolutely. A hundred percent. No, I'm just joking, of course. Uh, so I so there's two possibilities, yeah. right? I think that I think is a, there's a, a strong possibility that we may have already entered into a little bit of a recessionary situation mm-hmm. earlier this year, and we might be sort of slogging our way through it. Um, and, and there's also a possibility that when we look at the data um, a year from now, after it's been revised and we evaluate it, that we may have found ourselves in what's called a soft landing, where it's like, ah, we were almost in a recession and we've, um, we've figured a way out of it. I, I think, if anything, that we might be entering into a recession that's much more similar to what we saw in 2001, mm-hmm. which, which is about a nine-month recession. We didn't really see that much drop in real GDP growth. Um, it was a long jobless recovery, if you'll recall, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't um, it, it wasn't a nasty recession in, in most regards. I, I think that that's the most likely scenario for our economy. That's what I believe today. What's been eye opening for you here in, in not just 2022, but how we got here? I mean, I know there's been some unusual circumstances. You throw yeah. in COVID, you throw in the supply chain, the war in Ukraine. I mean, those are the ingredients that none of us expected, obviously, what would be happening two years ago to now. But but what has been eye opening for you regarding all of this? I think it was um, unexpected how consumers were going to react to the pandemic. So myself and a lot of economists thought, okay, uh, people are going to lose their jobs. Income is going to fall. Consumption is going to fall off the table. We're going to go into a nasty little recession and it could last for a year or something like this. That's, that's what my prediction was right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then consumers, we did, we had this huge spike in unemployment, huge drop in income. And then most workers, eh, more than half, like rebounded very quickly and jobs just said, lots of employers said, oh, you work from home, no big deal. You just keep doing your thing. 
Uh, so the economy got back on track in some regards very quickly. That was very eye-opening mm. that consumers would say, okay, wow, okay, I'm, I guess I'm kind of whole. The government has stepped in, lots of fiscal policies. I'm, I got money in my wallet. I guess I don't have anything else to do. Let me just go on to, you know, choose your website and buy a new comforter, right? And, yeah. Or everything I can find, just buy, let's buy one of everything. Which led to these supply chain issues and the and the inflationary trend uh, trends that we're seeing now. So my big eye opening moment was, wow, I did not see consumers behaving the way that they did. That was unanticipated, and and so now I think we're paying for that, and that's the inflation. We just bought everything we could we could click on for two years. You know, the, with the Great Recession, you can go back to what, between, what, 2007 to 2009, you know, 2008, yeah, started, I guess, yeah. when it gets. That's right. Yeah, and we could point to a big part of that, obviously, was the, the, the housing bubble, right? That's right. But is that, there a that, direct call? If we do go into a recession, can right. we pinpoint what exactly, what sector has been, you know, at the root of this? Or is it just, again, that perfect storm of all these other factors which you just talked about? Yeah. So most every recession, every recession that we that we have chronicled has some kind of an economic shock attached to Mm -hmm. it. Right. So you mentioned the Great Recession was a housing bubble. Right. Mm -hmm. In 2001, there was a dot com bubble. There were terrorist attacks Enron, WorldCom crises, 1979, OPEC oil embargoes. Like we can look at every recession and say, like, okay, this was the shock that pushed us into that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, the, the clip that you played earlier had Jerome Powell talking about the recession that started at the very beginning of the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? And so so that was the shock. I believe that if we go into a recession, this will be an aftershock of the pandemic. That is, the market still, parts of the market, like the labor market, still hasn't figured out what that means for them. Like, how do I respond to my job going away and coming back and going away and coming back, or I'm not, I don't have to go to work anymore and I can work from home. I have different kinds of responsibilities. Those kind of shocks can persist. And I would, I would say, I would argue that if we are in an economic recession or if we're headed into an economic recession, the economic shock is this aftershock of the pandemic. Like, what does that mean? And we're still dealing with that. So that's what I would point to. I mean, I guess it's not very specific because it yeah. seems like it happened two years ago. But we're there's still people getting COVID. Like people are still getting yeah. COVID, and people are still getting, let's say, kicked out of their apartments because the rent is too high. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're still suffering consequences. These are real people who are suffering these real events, right? Rent going up twenty percent in Atlanta. Somebody loses their apartment because they can't pay. Now they they don't have a place to live, so that they can't make their they can't get to a job so now all of a sudden they don't have an income like there's a person who's listening to this who knows somebody or, or is in that situation they say yeah the economy's not good for me like i'm in a recession i just lost my job or i don't have an apartment mm-hmm. this is this is still um an aftershock of the pandemic i believe well is there anything the fed can do to you know thwart this then does another interest rate hike even does it is it possible is it necessary well, I think it's necessary to keep inflation down, right? Sure. So the, the Fed has dual roles. I mean, part of its charter is that it has this dual role. It has to keep prices stable, but it also has to keep employment high or keep unemployment low. And so it's it, it's supposed to keep the economy growing forward, keep unemployment low, and keep inflation low. And, and these these two... Uh, these two, let's say, jobs, they conflict with each other because the trying to keep inflation low means you're pulling money out of the economy, but, but that also could slow the economy down and throw us into a recession, which would then ha- increase unemployment. So if you read these Fed press releases, they say, we're trying to balance this. We're trying to combat inflation without throwing the economy into a recession. So right now, the Fed is focused on the inflation part. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of the pandemic, you'll recall, the Fed dropped interest rate targets all the way down to zero, making lots of money available. So then flood the economy with currency so that people can actually go out and buy things to try to keep the economy moving. And so periodically, the Fed has to sort of switch gears, if you will, and say, well, we're going to we're going to tackle inflation versus 
growth. Okay, now we're going to tackle growth instead of inflation. Now, now they have the pendulum is in the inflation part of their policy goals, and they're doing. I think they're doing what they have to do to combat that part of of our economy. We have inflation. The Fed has to combat it. Wow. Making it always make sense. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much. From Emory University, economist and professor Tom Smith, as always, we appreciate you coming on, taking the time. Now, does this mean that for the holidays, normally I get some chocolate from you? Does you this will, mean you will I, still get the chocolate Rose. and, and the I'll same brand? The same. I don't. Uh, the, one of everything. I'll, I'll send you a bunch of chocolate. Not as some always. just you know bootleg knockoff chocolate. No, no bootleg knockoff. This is 60% cocoa. Then we're going to get you the good stuff. All right, I'm just Thank you, Rose, for having me on. I do appreciate it. I really like that you also had this other guest on. You're always providing good information to your listeners. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Professor. Take care. Thanks. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder, to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other, send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it is always online at wabe.org slash closerlook. And, of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m., as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.